And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, It will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. At a time of huge upheaval and uncertainty, many are turning to Jesus Christ, many of us for the first time. But when we do this, we are plagued with questions and doubts. How can we be convinced about stories from 2,000 years ago? We, we need some kind of confidence for the amount that's being asked of us. After all, we don't immediately trust people who uh, ask for our car keys or offer to babysit. We, we want to know a little bit about them. We need some kind of credentials. And yet Jesus comes into our lives demanding so much more than just a part of our lives. He demands, it seems, everything. He, he wants us to follow him. He wants us to trust him completely. He wants to be at the center of everything. And so it seems reasonable to, to want to investigate his reliability. And so we feel sympathy with people like we, we find in this, this story here from Matthew chapter 16. People who say to Jesus, can you give us a sign so that we can know whether you are who you claim to be? And yet Jesus doesn't seem to think them reasonable. Jesus responds to them with a violent accusation. He says, you people who ask me for some kind of sign, you're adulterers. And that seems to me over the top. If someone asks me uh, for some kind of proof uh, that I am legit in a certain situation, or, or if I ask for proof, say if, if I'm getting my COVID vaccination, and I want to be sure that it's the right thing. I want to have somebody answer a few questions about this thing that's being squirted into my body. Uh, is, this, is, this, uh, is this what it's supposed to be? I'd be surprised if the response was, well, how dare you ask such a, an adulterous question? And yet Jesus here responds, it seems, a little melodramatically. Now, where is he coming from? The, the, the fact is that Jesus knows their hearts. Jesus understands the hearts of people. In other words, he understands what's going on underneath. He understands where the question comes from. When we come towards God with questions, we may be coming for all kinds of reasons. Our questions can come very innocently, but they also can come from a very distrustful and suspicious attitude. Jesus could see that that was precisely what was going on here. These men didn't really want to know if he was who he claimed to be. They have made up their minds completely. Now, what we tend to do as human beings, just like these Pharisees and Sadducees, is assume that we would always be level judges, that we would be reliably trustworthy, that we would be reasonable. That if we come to God at Easter 2021 saying, I just need to be persuaded that Christianity is completely true. 
All I need is, is just the basic, simple evidence, and then, of course, I'll come quietly. Why wouldn't I? <laughs> I'm a reasonable human being. We obviously assume that about ourselves. But on what basis can we do that? How can we be so sure that we are the just judges we claim to be? When you think about it, the, the sheer reality is seen in the fact of what happened when God came amongst us. If you want to know what the human race is really like, if anyone wants to know, who, who wants to know, what is, what is humanity absolutely like at the heart? What, what, what demonstrates most plainly what we are like, me and you? Surely the best answer to that is the most shocking and dire one, the one that I hate to say in some respects, but I need to give you the bad news first. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. What happened when God became one of us? What happened when the innocent one walked amongst us? The only innocent one, actually. The only person in human history completely pure and holy and right and good in all of his motives, in all of his words, in all of his deeds. He did and said and thought everything right. What did we do? We tortured him to death. When God walks amongst us in plain sight, we crucify him. This says everything about us, surely? We don't need to know more about the human disposition towards God. The way we respond to, de to the demands of Jesus is not just a little bit of questioning and, and, and careful, methodical investigation. No, it's a, a, a strong, passionate suspicion and rejection, even to the point of violence. That's what's within us. You might say, that's ridiculous. How can you say that? Look at, the, look at the way we've done so much as human beings. Look at how well we've done, how well we understand our world. Look at our science, look at our technology, look at our vaccine, for goodness sake. Look how much we've achieved. And you'll be completely right. The Bible doesn't deny that. Jesus doesn't deny that. Look at the way he affirms our human understanding of the world, even in these very words. He says to them, when it's evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red in the morning. It will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky. Well, that's, that doesn't sound very sophisticated to us, but in his first century context, that's, that's kind of how far meteorology perhaps had gone. He's saying, yeah, your science is good. You're good at it. He's congratulating us. He's saying, well done. You know how to create a vaccine to deal with a global pandemic. This is good. This is one of the ways that you human beings demonstrate that you're made in the image of God. It's a wondrous thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's something to be celebrated. Jesus snatches nothing away from the dignifying wonder of human achievement. He celebrates it all. And so should I, and so should you. And yet, he goes on in the same sentence to say, but, you cannot interpret the signs of the times. When it comes to understanding certain features of knowledge and information, you're brilliant. But when it comes to the claims of the living God upon your heart, you are willfully blind. 
It's, it's like a, a disability or, or a willful disability. It's, it's something that goes deep down. We can be so smart and yet so foolish at the same time. And the reason I say this, the reason I give this bleak message that you might think, why would you do this? This, this is springtime. It's, it's Easter. <laughs> it's, it's the countdown to the end of lockdown. It's, it's, everything should be happy at this stage. And trust me, this is a very happy message overall. But the happiness is best understood in the context of the, the bleak picture, the real sorrow of our desperate human condition. Friends, we don't just need a little bit of information from God. We're not dying for lack of information. We're ultimately trailing off out of orbit away from the living God because we within us each have a heart that is suspicious and distrustful towards him. That is the verdict of Jesus and that is the verdict of history. And we should consider therefore, if we come to him, if we're thinking about Jesus this Easter, let's do it humbly. Let's prepare ourselves. Let's prepare to have our ideas turned upside down. And what I wanna do after we've sung this song that's coming up now is talk about Jesus through the story that he reminds us of here. They ask for a sign. Notice how Jesus reacts. He says, you're not going to get a sign except for the sign of Jonah. What does that mean? It sounds pretty curious. I want to talk in a moment what that means because he's going to use the story of somebody whose life was turned upside down by God. Somebody who had to have his ideas completely changed. I'm afraid that is what's necessary if we're going to come to know God ourselves. We're going to do that after we've had this song that describes the story of what Jesus accomplished on the Easter weekend. Let's do that together now. Cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior all that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears They laid him down in Joseph's tomb The entrance sealed by heavy stone Messiah still and all alone the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore. For endless days we will sing Your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. Then on the of dawn the son of heaven rose again 
trample death Where is your sting? The angels roar For Christ the King Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God Oh, praise His name looking before that song at the story of Jonah very briefly just before I finished because Jesus brings up the story of Jonah it's a bit curious he does it a couple of times in fact at different stages he he makes the same comment he, he says if you're looking for a sign if you're looking for proof of who I am look at the story of Jonah what does he mean by that well I think one of the things he's talking about is how Jonah's life looks like Jesus life but in some important ways, looks nothing like Jesus. And let me explain what I mean. First of all, Jonah is a servant of God. Jonah is a messenger for God. In both respects, Jonah is, is like Jesus then. Only Jonah is not particularly reliable. He's not a very 
obedient messenger. He's not a very faithful servant. When God calls him to go and speak to a certain group of people, Jonah goes in the opposite direction. Jonah deliberately defies the will of God for his life. And then Jonah goes into a terrible storm. It seems as a result, he, he, he takes a boat across the sea to avoid God's plan for his life. While he's at sea, there's this horrendous storm, which results in Jonah being tossed overboard and ending up in the belly of an enormous fish. Now he ends up being spewed back up by the fish, seeming, seemingly to have risen from the dead on dry land, not just to live another day, but to obey God and do the thing he was called to do with his life after all. And there are a few interesting little features that, that are fascinating. Things like the fact that Jonah describes himself in, in the belly of the fish as having weeds wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. He talks about uh, going cast down into the deep, into the heart of the seas and out of the belly of death I cried out to you. Jonah's describing what it means to be, to be buried, to, to be killed and buried, but even to this strange thing of weeds around his head. And the Bible's like that. It's a peculiar, miraculous book, really, that, 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 that has all these kind of, you could say, Easter eggs hidden around like treasure across its pages, where you can see links from one book to another, one story to another, showing how it all speaks about Jesus. Jesus who had thorns put around his head when he was crucified and buried. At the point of death, he was crowned mockingly with weeds, if you like. Jonah seems to experience something of the life and death of Jesus, and even, you could say, the resurrection of Jesus. But in other respects, Jonah is nothing like Jesus. When I read the story of Jonah, I don't think, well, this guy's just like Jesus. In fact, when I read the story of Jonah, I'm more likely to think this guy is just like me. This guy reminds me of my disobedience, of my suspicion towards God, of my preference for my own path, my rejection of God's destiny for my life. And so I read it and realize something's going on here that's very important. Jonah is suffering as a result of his foolish decisions. Jesus suffered not as a result of his foolish decisions, but he deliberately chose to take on the result of my foolish decisions. And as, as humanity at large, we, we seem to be suffering, and some would say as a result of our foolish decisions. We, we're conscious going through the, the shock and the storm of COVID, just like Jonah going out into the storm of, of nature and, and, and the, the terrible wind and the waves and then the belly of the great fish Nature seems to turn on Jonah, and nature has seemed to turn on us over the last couple of years. You may have come across Russell Brand talking just a few months ago about the fact that COVID is nature trying to speak to us, nature trying to get our attention, nature trying to say, you've taken some terrible wrong turnings, that humanity has, has, has chosen the wrong path on some drastic occasions. And it's time, COVID is like an opportunity, a moment, a warning, a chance for reflection. One of those rare occasions in humanity's history where we might get the chance to stop and redress and reconsider. That's really like the story of Jonah, in the belly of a fish, having a moment of self-reflection, realizing he's completely wasted 
so much of his life he's gone the wrong direction. And maybe humanity's been having an opportunity for similar reflections in recent months. But nature is not really our teacher. Or if it is, it's kind of like a, a hired teacher. It's not the headmaster of the school. Na nature is not always that reliable a teacher in itself. Nature is not a person. Nature is a tool. And that is a comfort to me. I, I'm so glad I don't live in a universe which is just run randomly. What the Bible presents is, is a God who's in control of everything. The storm, the boat, the wind and the waves, the fish itself. God is in control even of COVID. God is in control of the economy. God is in control of your job situation. God is in control of your future. God is in control even of life and death. God is in control of all of these things that look like insurmountable obstacles and enemies that we don't know how to face and we may feel troubled and panicked by. And yet, the, the God of this book, the God of Jonah, is the one who's in control of every one of these different features. And not only that, but the way that God has dealt with these problems is he has come to face them himself on our behalf. When God became human as a man, when God became a baby in a cradle, when God grew to suffer and be killed and buried, just like Jonah, what he was doing was showing his absolute determination to identify with us, with us at our worst, with us at our most desperately rebellious, with, our, with us at the point where we, like Jonah, have resisted God and rejected him. And that's all of us, right? In the things that we've done, things that we've said, the things that we've thought, the things that we haven't thought but we should have thought, the things that we haven't said that we should have said, the things that we haven't done that we should have done, the very motives of our heart. We know ourselves. We know how short we fall. We know how far we've, we've fallen from God's best. And if we are honest, if we consider ourselves, we realize that we don't deserve God's mercy. We realize we deserve all the punishments that nature can be used to bring on us. And yet God himself became the one who suffered them in our place. He substituted himself for us, not at our best, but at our worst. And this is why we can have hope. That's why the Easter story is so important. He didn't just do that for us, but demonstrated his ultimate dominion, his, his victory over them by being raised from the dead, by coming from the tomb. <laughs> he went into the belly of death and came out, completely came out, vindicated, free. It means that those who belong to him can have hope, not just for COVID, not just for the future, not just for how am I going to get through the economy? How am I going to get through these troubled situations? How am I going to get through death? How am I going to get through the greatest enemies, as the Bible calls them? And yet Jesus has shown a way. Jesus has gone through the worst, punched a hole in it and come out the other side, which is why the hope that we should cling to is not things getting back to normal. Believe me, the biggest mistake you can make in 2021 is to put all of your hopes 
in just things returning to normal, in just the, the roadmap to normality. There's a far, far better roadmap. It involves Jesus and it's a roadmap to life. There's someone who's found his way through the worst that life and death has to offer and he offers himself to us. Believe in me, he says, trust in me, turn to me. Do it with all your heart, do it humbly. Let him come to be the center of your life and see how he changes things for you.